Welcome to Our Creator Calls, where we seek truth together. Have you noticed how many professing Christians are leaving their faith? You may have seen a social media post by a well-known Christian announcing their deconversion. And for every celebrity who makes that move, hundreds of other believers we don't even hear about are also leaving Christianity. According to a report in 2018 by the Pine Tops Foundation, in the U.S. alone, between 30 and 42 million young people raised in Christian families who now call themselves Christians are expected to leave their faith by 2050. This got me wondering, why is this happening? After 27 years of walking with Jesus, I can't even imagine leaving my faith. In search for answers, I contacted Kirk Durston, who has written and spoken extensively about deconversion. Kirk is a scientist, a philosopher, a theologian, a father, husband, grandfather, and wilderness adventurer. For the last 39 years, he's been thinking, writing, and speaking about the interaction of science, theology, and philosophy within the context of authentic Christianity. Kirk joins us this week to share his insights on why deconversion is a growing trend. A voice, a voice calling in your wilderness. Well, hello, Kirk. Thank you very much for joining us today. I'm really happy that you are here for this interview. I've been wanting to talk to you for a while since I heard some of your other videos that you've done. And I know that you've just been at a, a seminar, a conference in Hawaii, talking on several issues, one of which was the one that I wanted to interview about, which was deconversion, which is something that uh, people might not have heard about, but I've heard a lot about it from different sources. First off, can you just explain what that means? What does deconversion mean? Sure. Uh, deconversion is uh, what I'm using. It's a term that's out there. But the specific aspect of deconversion that I'm most interested in, and I think most people think of, are young adults who are moving into a position of Christian leadership, who take their Christianity very seriously, evangelical Christians, most by and large, and uh, through a series of, of issues or a process, they actually abandon their faith in Christ. They abandon their faith in God. And most often they go into um, either agnosticism or atheism. And, and a, quite a few of them actually go quite a bit in the other direction to the point where they're very hostile to Christianity and actually do things such as uh, join atheist organizations. Well, I could name you many people just from my own personal life that fit that category, who have gone into alternative lifestyles, who've become atheists, uh, who, you know, are come very, very liberal so to the point where they're maybe not even believing in the divinity of Jesus Christ. It really runs the gamut. Would you say that this is a, a growing trend that is actually amping up even more right now? Yeah, I think it is. Uh, uh, it's it's a... Uh... Perhaps one could use the word avalanche. Um, maybe that would be overstating it slightly, but it is huge. And uh, I think it's because our culture is becoming increasingly out of sync with the teachings of Christ, which I would define as the essential core aspect of Christianity and the teachings of the Bible in general. So it's a huge issue. The other issue is... Um, the, the role of deception, though, deception is rampant in our culture. I don't, th well, the, the, the beauty of well-done reception is, or deception is people don't actually know they're being deceived. It's, mm -hmm. it's uh, a slow, steady process that moves them from away from truth. And so this is going on, and it's not surprising because I'm speaking from a Christian perspective here. Jesus referred to uh, being, he called the ruler of this world, and he described the ruler of this world as the father of lies. So there is a being out there who has a lot of power in this world, who actually is the master of misinformation, uh, uh, would take the most skilled, would look like, would look, would make the most skilled human in the art of deception look like an amateur by comparison. And so we have a major problem within the church, within Christianity today, 
and it's not unique, of course, it's all over our culture. There's a major shifting away from, from truth. Deception, you know, just from my own life and my own experience, I literally, I really relate to that, that scripture that talks about that Jesus takes us out of the kingdom of darkness and rescues us essentially and delivers us into the kingdom of his glorious light. And I really relate to that because that's exactly what happened to me. I was following darkness. I was in a lot of darkness and then I was delivered into the kingdom of light. And yet I think, like you said, when people are deceived, they don't know they're deceived. That's the whole point of deception. I think a lot of people, whether they're Christian or non-Christian, wherever they are on the spectrum, don't really think about the spirit realm. It's kind of a weird, a weird situation because on one hand, we have this almost saturation of obsession almost with the paranormal, the supernatural, the occult. It's everywhere, all through our media and movies and TV shows. It's just everywhere. And yet, I don't know if the average person, certainly I don't think the average Christian is thinking about the fact that this is a 24-7 battle that we are in all the time. And because it's a spiritual battle, those spirits of darkness that are number one their number one goal is to prevent us from having a relationship with our creator, Jesus Christ. And they're at it all the time, when we sleep, when we're not sleeping. And the number one way they do it is through communication, I think. How do we communicate? <laughs> I think, yeah. Well, speaking of communication and deception, I'm just in the process of writing an article entitled Sophistry. And sophistry is the is using rhetoric, which is the art of persuasion, but uh, using it to bring people to conclusions that actually do not follow or use it, bring people to conclusions that actually um, are based on the absence of premises or the absence of uh, reasonable thinking, using lots of manipulative um, techniques in language and written language and spoken. And uh, it's interesting. I did a little search on chat GPT on sophistry. It was actually um, common in the first century, uh, traveling philosophers skilled in rhetoric and skilled in persuasion and convincing people of things that actually were not necessarily 100% true. But according to chat GPT, and of course, it, I didn't need that to tell me this, it is rampant today. It has just exploded. In fact, probably today and sophistry works through communication that's how it works it's just everywhere i don't think that's why i want to do an article on it because it is so we are just immersed in it we're swimming in sophistry now we could have a whole other conversation just about uh what you just said that could just take us you know that's the thing about when you have these conversations and i tend to have a divergent mind so you say one thing and i could go into a whole bunch of different directions oh, yeah. right <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. Uh, but Les, I do want to I do want to stay focused on the, the deconversion, though, just for another little bit, mm -hmm. because I've met people. I remember this guy that I met many years ago. I had just become a Christian. I probably had been walking with the Lord for maybe a year. I loved this guy. He was such a, a really great guy, really innovative, uh, very, very creative. Actually, he taught me how to digital edit, but he was in a gay lifestyle. And when I met him, he'd been with his partner for about 12 years. And he said, you know, he had a, a difficult upbringing with his, with his father. Some of the, the key reasons, I think, why people become, uh, you know, gay. There's lots of different reasons. And he said he tried to be a Christian twice. He said, I tried, I, I, you know, he tried to uh, be part of a church. He tried to be part of a young adults group, but he just didn't fit in. He just felt like he was judged all the time. And I can understand that. I could, that's a whole other interview right there. And then, so we would have these discussions late in the morning or early in the morning, like one o'clock in the morning after we've been editing and things like that. And so I asked him, I said, so, but it doesn't sound like you ever really, did you ever really know Jesus? Because if you ever really know him, he's a person, then how could you deny that he exists? And so for me, that's always the question. He just kind of looked at me like he didn't know what I meant because yeah. It's a relationship. And if you actually really had a relationship with somebody, 
I mean, it is a relationship with a spirit, so it is different for sure. And that's hard to explain to people if they've never done it. I think there's lots of Christians I even talk to who don't have that relationship with God where it's actually really a personal, they might say it is, but really authentically, I don't know. And I think that's really could be a key as to how people could leave. Like, was it ever really real in the first place? Yeah, that's a major, a major factor. In fact, as a result, I started maybe really seriously diving into this about four years ago and listening to and watching testimonials on YouTube and so forth. And uh, one of the possibilities is that there are an awful lot of people in our churches today who believe they are Christians, but are in fact not. And it's it, there's a number of reasons. There are reasons that the deconverters gave, but at the same time, there are reasons that they didn't give. Like what I'm talking about is it became very interesting what they did not talk about. And what they did not talk about was what you just mentioned, uh, leaving behind a personal experience of God that was on a regular basis, daily basis. To me, that's that's the central core aspect of Christianity is this personal relationship. Mm-hmm. And it's illustrated by Jesus saying the greatest and foremost command of all is to love God with all our heart, soul, strength, and mind because he's already loved us. And so if that isn't there, then you really have to start questioning, am I actually, am I actually spiritually reborn? Have I actually put my faith in Christ? So there's a, there's, that's one aspect of things. Now, I don't, think it's helpful to tell people oh you never really wear a christian because i don't to be honest with you i don't really know if they wear or would they wear not but i just could never assure them that they were given that the very core aspect of christianity seemed to be totally missing in what they talk about instead they talk about all the activities they used to do and the things they used to believe but it was striking the absence of anything like a personal daily and i use the word experiencing god experiencing the presence of god that's what i think is is critical experiencing the presence of god not just imagining that god's out there or getting some physiochemical response during a a concert which can happen in a christian concert or a secular concert that's not the presence of god necessarily um i'm talking about daily regular experiencing the presence of God in our lives. And that is, if that's not there, it can be a tough slug to just maintain our faith. And if the faith is even there, because I think it comes as a result of faith. Yeah. I mean, I went for 34 years without knowing Jesus and I was quite capable, very self-sufficient, doing quite well. And in some ways life is harder spiritually for sure, because, you know, when you actually really start walking with with Christ and really start living as a real Christian, the enemy doesn't like that. And I say the enemy, I only have one enemy, and that's a spiritual enemy. Yeah. Uh, just one enemy. It's a, it, we, we wage not against flesh and blood, but against the spiritual forces, spiritual powers in high places, wickedness in dark places, you know. And that's something that I think people sometimes forget about. But I know when I was on my journey and I was before I actually became a Christian, I did, I mean, I was really searching. I was really searching for truth. And I I didn't actually have anybody really share the gospel with me, even though I found out afterwards people that were Christians. But I did actually meet people. I actually even went to a Bible study one time. But it just seemed that everyone I talked to, and this is just my personal experience, it seemed like they were talking about something, like they were talking about something that somebody had told them about something, as opposed to something that they were speaking of from their own experience. Like if you were talking about your wife, now obviously it's a little, it's obviously different, but it's similar. You know, that relationship is very intimate. And you're yeah. talking about your wife. You know your wife. It, that word know is a very intimate word. You know her. You're not talking about somebody that you've never met. And that was always the way it seemed when I would talk to people. The few that I did talk to, there weren't many, but it seemed like they were regurgitating something that somebody else had told them as opposed mm. to telling me that 
of a person that they authentically knew, you know? Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, I, to me, for me, what makes Christian, authentic or true Christianity so exciting, mm -hmm. so fulfilling, is experiencing the presence of God and uh, on a daily basis. And when I, I find one aspect of deception now is people's concept of God. It is all over the map. And so I, when I even say the word God, I find I have to define what I'm talking about here. But one of my favorite descriptions of God, since I think I better clarify that, is, uh, is, is as follows. It says, every good thing given and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shifting shadow. Now, if you think about this for a second, every good thing given and every perfect gift, the implications are that God is the origin of beauty. He's not just beautiful. He is the origin of beauty. He is beauty personified. He is love personified, honor, music personified, art personified. Every good thing given originates from God. Now we think of ways to twist it or use it in the wrong way or the wrong time and so forth. But this is who we're talking about here. We are talking about a being who is the origin of light and life and every good thing given. So what could possibly be better than knowing such a being? And in my experience, after having known such a being and experienced his presence, if I were to abandon my belief in God, I would have nothing. I mean, you could put millions into my bank account. You could give me all the power and fame you wanted, but it would be just so hollow and empty and meaningless without the being that, who is the origin of love. Uh, I, and, and, and this was sadly missing. This, I, I was just, wow, there's, they're just not talking about leaving behind this relationship. They're talking about all the activities and the beliefs, but not this. The other thing that they did not talk about, or they, they were oblivious to, was how culture had shaped them, shaped the way they think, shaped the way they see things. And uh, so they began to look at God through the eyes of our culture, or what the kind of, basically evaluate God the way our culture evaluates things. And our culture is always shifting to the right, to the left, swinging like a pendulum, uh, drift on a sea through history, it goes, it goes all over the place. So it's not an objective view of God. And so if God doesn't measure up to our culture, then they abandon him. Yeah, I think hmm, people make God out in their own image, the way they want yeah. him to be, the way they depict him to be, whereas he is, first of all, the, the word God is, is actually not a name at all. It's just a, a title, and there's many gods but there's only one true most high God. And that's the, the mm. difference. Yeah, I don't so so how do we get there? I mean, where does what where does the 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 reason or the I don't want to say fault, but what why is this happening? Because, you know, sometimes I talk to Christians and well, we'll say the Christians for one. I I, I talk to Christians and I feel like I'm talking to people from another faith or something. It, it's weird. I, I've had this experience more than once. But then when I look at my own life, you know, I was in deep deception. I was in deep deception. I was following a new age philosophy very deeply. And so there was a lot of, you know, deception that you talked about earlier that was surrounding me. And God himself, Jesus himself, made himself real to me. And why, why, why was that? I don't know. Because the only reason why I know him is because he allowed me to know him. You know, he has to draw me in. But I was really seeking, and, and the Bible does say, if you seek, you will find. So there's those two things. So I don't know, from your studies, from your research, you know, why do you think that is? What's the missing point here that people aren't really getting to know Jesus. That's the, the whole point of this podcast. What's getting in the way of me getting closer to you, God? Mm -hmm. 
Oh, I, I think so much about this. I have spoken recently a lot on this. Uh, we have to go right back to the beginning. What is involved in following Christ? Now, the interesting thing is Jesus says, if anyone wishes to come after me, that person must deny themselves, take up the cross daily, and follow me. For he who wishes to save his life will lose it, and he who loses his life for my sake will say, will will gain it. So a lot of people today, we have a tendency, I'm saying we as Christians, when we're talking to other people, we have a tendency to lower the bar so much that we want to avoid totally the possibility there might be any cost at all to following Christ, or there might be any, any demand at all by Christ to be all in, so to speak. So when I married my wife, uh, it was, we were both all in. There were going to be no other girlfriends, boyfriends, no other liaisons. A marriage mm-hmm. needs a number of things to work, but one of them is it's all in. It's that person and no one else. And it's the same with God. I think that's missing a lot today. So we lower the bar so much. But if you look at the conversation Jesus had with the rich man, he uh, Jesus knew exactly what, the term and condition was that that man was going to hold on. He would follow Jesus, but he did have a condition that he got to keep his wealth. And that's not to say everybody has to ditch their wealth if they want to follow Christ. But if a, if it's an addiction or if it's a problem with greed, that's going to have to be dealt with. And so Jesus says, well, you're just missing one thing. Just sell all your wealth, give it to the poor and follow me. And he went away grieved and Jesus made no attempt to retract that condition, to lower the bar. And uh, now, at the same time, faith in Christ, the gift of eternal life and forgiveness for sin is open to everyone. But I've been struck with how Jesus said, but he says, but the gate is narrow. So coming through that gate, Mm -hmm. there may be terms and conditions that a lot of people have, and they think they've put their faith in Christ, but they actually have it because they weren't willing to ditch those terms and conditions. And so when I'm explaining the gospel to someone, I'm not talking about, I I know I tell them don't try and clean your life up ahead of time. That's impossible. Don't even think about it. But if they indicate that they are really, they really do want to put their faith in Christ, then I'd like to have a conversation with them and saying, ask them a few questions. Like, do you realize, what this might cost you. Uh, It might cost you everything. I mean, that's really what Jesus is asking here. So that's problem number one, is that many Christians today, or people would identify as Christians, have never actually just totally put their faith in Christ. By totally, I mean, they they want this relationship so bad. They want it so bad, they're willing, whatever the price, I want this. And tell Jesus that. So there's two things I would say that are essential for today's Christians. So when I'm talking to Christians now, I say these are two things you'd better think about if you don't want to deconvert, if you don't want to have your faith suffer shipwreck is another way of terming it. Number one, it's all in. Uh, no terms, no conditions, nothing held back. Can you actually ask God to do to you anything he wants? Not just through you. That's a safe prayer. Do through me anything you want, but to you. Now, a person who's just receiving Christ, who's just putting their faith in Christ, doesn't necessarily know all of this stuff. It should be simple enough so that a child can put their faith in Christ. But the way my mother explained it to me, and I received, I put my faith in Christ as a small boy. She said, we can't decide for you. You're going to have to decide. But if you do, you will belong to God forever. And as a little boy, that was sobering. And I think by telling me that, she, you know, God knows what it'll cost. I had no idea. But for me as a little boy, belonging to God, that was all in. That was a scary thing. And I said, no, I'm not ready. I was too afraid of God at that point. And then eventually when I realized he loved me enough to die for me, and for me as a boy, Death was the scariest thing of all. That's the worst thing that could ever happen. Because I saw death on a farm. We, I grew up on a farm, so I knew what it was about. 
But if he loved me enough to do that, I could trust him. So that's when I decided to do it. In my mind, the night I asked Jesus Christ to come into my, the way I, my mother framed it was quite simple. She says, ask him to come into your heart and take away your sin and take you to heaven when you die. That was basically a small boy's understanding. And I really meant it. So that's one thing. Number two is, now this is, this is something that I think people who call themselves Christians need to do. I had assumed that I knew what loving Jesus or loving God with all my heart, soul, strength, and mind was until one day it struck me that I had just assumed, I had just been assuming that my understanding was what he had in mind. And I was appalled that I'd made such an assumption. So I, from that day on, began to ask God, take me on this road where I truly love you the way you actually meant when you said with all my heart, soul, strength, and mind. And when I prayed that prayer, when I began praying that, I saw things happen in my life that had never, that even though I'd been a Christian and I believe a sincere Christian for many years, it was another phase. But why do I say these two things are so important? Because if these two things are true in your own life, total surrender to Jesus and, and depending on God to cultivate this love for him within you, just you really want that. You don't have to worry about deconversion. You're going to actually experience the presence of God on a daily basis. There'll be rough times, of course, brutal times maybe, but uh, you still will. He will still be there, even if it's he who picks you up and carries you through those times. Wow. There were so many times that you were talking. I'm thinking, yes, yes. One of, I mean, one of the scriptures that I really relate to is... I have been crucified with Christ. I no longer live. And this life that I'm living is by faith in the Son of God who died and now lives through me. And that scripture has seen me through many, 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 well, actually many deceptions. I could tell you many stories. But, you know, I remember when I... I was in a very deep in, in a Hindu-based cult many years ago. That's on my, my debut episode was my testimony, just a short version because, you know, testimonies can go on for a long time. But I remember after I got out of it, I was deprogrammed and it was uh, quite intense. And I ended up going to a mind control expert at a, a church near where I was living. And you know, he was a special, a specialist in this and a specialist in this particular cult. And he asked me, he said, do you want to join our church? And I said, no, absolutely not. <laughs> I have no desire to join any church or any religion at all. The last thing that I want is to be part of a religion. You know, he never asked me, would you like to know Jesus Christ? And that is what I had been searching for for years. I wanted to actually know the truth. And I actually wanted to know if Jesus was true. Because I grew up in a Catholic church and I heard about Jesus, you know, read, people read scriptures and stuff, but nobody seemed to actually know him, you know? It just it was all this religion. And sometimes I think that is one of the key issues is that people are, they, be, they belong to churches, they join churches, but and that's why when you're saying about they when they leave when they deconvert they talk about the programs and all of that the rituals but they didn't actually really go full in like you said this is a relationship and it's for better or for worse and all through the bible as you know the the bible is full of of the old testament and the new testament talking about you know, you don't have any other gods before me. It's just me. I don't want you to worship all this, all these other gods. Why? Not because, you know, people say, oh, well, he's, you know, he's a megalomaniac and he needs to have all the worship himself. No, it's because God knows that when we worship other gods and there are other spiritual entities, I was worshiping a spiritual entity that I thought was God every day, religiously in the morning. That was not God. That was a deception. 
And God knows, Jesus knows, our creator knows that when we do that, we will be deceived. And so it's whatever you worship. It's about worship, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's, um, but a lot of people today have uh, have terms. And, and in fact, the number one reason that they gave for deconverting had to do with sexuality. And I've heard this over the years. It's not uh, sexuality in any any way that's not the way God created it to be used. And that would include, you know, just rampant porn addiction, the whole nine yards. And there's a reason for that, that he asks us to, if that's a term and a condition, then he said, no one who practices sexual immorality will enter the kingdom of God. Now, that's not something a person can clean up ahead of time. And it's to be distinguished from a person, real, real people, real Christians who struggle it's a battle. That's He's not talking about a battle here because everybody has weak areas in their life and they will struggle with those things and those will be battles. What he's talking about when he says practice, that means he you're just totally, you're totally into whatever it is uh, you're, you're doing with regard to sexual morality. You have no intention to even fight this or to engage in a battle over it. You have no, you're, you're totally fine with it. In fact, you might even promote it. And that's what he's talking about when he talks about practice. So that was the number one reason, because what happened is that eventually a lot of the Christians who deconverted wanted to, either they knew that it was just exhausting to try and live. They often talked about, I had to present myself as if I was a good Christian, when in fact, throughout the week, I knew I was not. And it just became exhausting to me. So many of them talked about a huge sense of freedom when they just totally abandoned their pretext of trying to live, look like they were successful Christians. Others said they wanted to reconcile it with what the Bible says. Well, the Bible, God says, he's pretty, pretty clear on what sexual morality is. And so it takes a lot of work to argue that it doesn't actually mean what it says. And in doing the a lot of work, they realize, well, wait a sec, if I'm going to interpret this using these techniques, it also applies to everything else in the Bible. And you know, the divinity of the deity of Christ, for example, that refers to everything. And they realized this is just all falling apart. So they just abandoned it. So that was the number one reason. Now, there's something most Christians don't realize. And I think these people who deconverted don't realize they were, they were familiar with the rules, at least when it came to sexuality, they were familiar with the rules, but they had no idea why they were there. And to those, I would say, there's two things to think, to remember. First of all, God gave us these moral laws to maximize human flourishing and minimize human suffering. Secondly, even more importantly, he said, abstain from fleshly lusts, which wage war against the soul. So first and foremost, we're not just a body. We're, we're a body and a soul. And depending on different people have different views, whether a body and a soul or a body, soul, and spirit. And, uh, but the bottom line is this, is that the, the body is to be subject to the soul. The soul is usually defined as the you who makes the decisions. You, you can make moral decisions. You, it's your awareness, self-awareness, and so forth. The body is often described in the Bible as a tent or a vessel, a jar of clay. It's, it's our dwelling. It's what we dwell within and is essential part of us, but it's not to rule us. And if it rules us, it actually subjugates the the soul it subjugates your mind your ability to make right moral decisions your ability to reason it actually subjugates that and you become he he uses terms like unreasoning animals it's actually dehumanizing when the body rules the soul so for the deconverters the body was gaining more and more power over the soul and it just destroyed them, destroyed them spiritually at least. So they abandoned it and then the war stopped, but the war stopped because it was a total subjugation of the soul. Now we have a case where it's, it wasn't sexuality that was the problem or the misuse of sexuality. It was greed in the case of the rich young ruler when he approached Jesus and Jesus said, you know, you're going to have to sell that, give it all to the poor and follow me. 
So in many cases, it's, it could be a vice, it could be something that dominates the soul rather than the soul ruling over the body. So when God says, I want you to present your body as a living sacrifice, mm -hmm. who's the you that he's talking about that's doing the presenting of the body? That you is you as a living eternal soul. Uh, the second most common reason had to do with, I would call it Christian culture. And I'm talking about Christian culture in a, there are two kinds. Number one is uh, just all these rules and regulations that people made up that actually aren't in the Bible. And they could only listen to Christian music. They could only have Christian friends. Now, I, as I listened to this, I thought, wow, could they only buy Christian furniture? What about art? Did it have to be done by Christian artists? <laughs> yeah. You know, it's just yeah. silly. It gets you know, to there's... that point sometimes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And they found it exhausting, just exhausting to try and live up to these rules. And they didn't make sense to them. And, you know, I, I sympathize that. But you don't throw the baby out with the bathwater, as they once said. It's you have to say, well, what is real Christianity? Oh, it's all about folks in your relationship with God through Jesus Christ. That's what the real thing is. The other kind of Christian culture that they could not bear was they'd read in the Bible, you should be full of peace and full of joy and all this. So they weren't experiencing that. They didn't have the power to experience that self-control, no power to do that. And they concluded that, well, this isn't working. This is bogus. I'm out of here. And then they felt that enormous sense of freedom. But if I might just say something to people out there who might actually be thinking, yeah, that's the case in my life. That's where I think total surrender to Jesus Christ, no terms, no conditions, do to me anything you want, change me any way you want. And asking God to help you love him the way he actually meant when he said to love him with all your heart, soul, strength and mind. Those two things are the key to actually living. In fact, what I have found in my own life is that you start living in a way that naturally is pleasing to God, even if I didn't even know what those moral laws were. Uh, he changes us from the inside, just this love. Uh, so what, because I love my wife, I'm not running after other women. You don't have to tell me, oh, by the way, Kirk, now that you're married, no running after other women. You don't have to tell me that I, I love my wife. I, just a few moments of reflection would tell me this would be an awful thing to do to her. And I love her. So in the same way with God, no, we still need to have moral laws out there because they are kind of like fences. They tell us when maybe things aren't going right between me and God and we, oh, I'm getting a little too far off this way or that way. I think a lot of it has to do with the natural way we are. Now, people, People have a tendency to think I was born this way. I, of course, I should, I should celebrate. I should really let loose who I really am. I, this is the way I naturally am. But two things, God never intended us to finish the way we started. And secondly, uh, he says, no, the way you naturally are is in a state of deterioration and corruption. What he offers us is a new supernatural you, a new nature that he creates within you at spiritual rebirth. So then you have a choice. The old, the, the way you naturally are doesn't just disappear or go away, but you have a choice to live by the new supernatural you that he's created within you for good works, or by default, that old nature starts creeping back in again. And he says, you're to consider that as dead. It's, it's not, it's still there, but you're to treat it as if it's dead. And so many Christians have no concept of this. Uh, I hear a lot of Christians say, well, this is the way I naturally am. In fact, a friend of mine went out for dinner, uh, him and his wife with an elder and his wife in a church. And while she had been away on a trip, he hired two prostitutes on, two, on a different occasions. And he says, this is the way I naturally am. I was born this way. Men need more than one woman. And uh, wow, I, he said that right in front of his wife. And he's supposed to be an elder in a church. And my friend was shocked. He didn't know what to say. Yeah, what but, do you, well, you know, what the do guy you... was right. This is the way we naturally are. But that is not how God wants us. He's got this new supernatural nature. And that's one thing the deconverters 
seemed not to have, they didn't talk about it. They didn't talk about this. It was all work, hard work. And I'll tell you, we cannot live the way God wants us to live on our own power. Forget it. It's total, give myself, I give myself into his hands. And God, I want to love you the way you intended me to love you with all my heart, soul, strength. And when that's in place, that's not the only things I'm concerned about as a Christian, of course. In fact, the seminars that I gave last week, I wish there were 13 of them, actually 12, and the 13th was a QA. and um, I actually talked about, uh, there are six major issues that I talked about in deconversion and two positive things that need to be in place. Well, you know, when, as you're talking, it really makes me sad because we're to work out our salvation it's a process. It's a lifelong process. And yeah, I've, I've met so many people. First of all, we can't come to Christ and, you know, I have to be, I have to make myself better before I give my life to Christ. That's totally defeats the purpose. He wants us to come to him yeah. as we are, because otherwise it's all about works. You know, this whole, this whole thing about works and about the, the natural man, I could again, go off on a whole bunch of different places there but it's not about works. It's, that's what religion is, man-made religion. It's about my works, what I can do, how I can ascend, what I can do here and what I can do there. It's completely opposite to that. It's about him doing the work in us and through us. It's a process, and we have to remember that. It's not easy, but it's Jesus' yoke to bear He's the one that does the work. The main thing I have to do is just let him. And I remember one time I was, I was, you know, the further I walked into the light, the more I saw my own sin, the more I saw the things that needed to go. And there's always that choice. Do I keep walking into the light and let him cleanse me? Or do I walk back into the dark so I don't see it? Because it's, you know, sometimes it, it boggles my mind, like, why wouldn't people want to have a relationship with the creator of all things, the most beautiful, perfect, amazing being that you could ever know, love, infinite love, you know? But I think it's because people have bought into religion instead of truly knowing Christ. And you're right, it's all in. People used to make fun of me when I was first a Christian, like literally thought I'd, my parents thought I'd gone off the deep end, right? <laughs> literally, they thought I'd gone off the deep end. But, and, and my mother said, I remember saying, you know, you need to get back to reality. And I said, I'm finally seeing reality for the first time. This is reality, you know? How do you get through to people? Because to leave this, if you could say something to people, you've already said so much, but... I just have such a heart. It makes me so sad that, you know, maybe they have to leave and come back. I don't know. But were you ever there in the first place? I don't know. Yeah. It's, well, first of all, you, you've, you've made a very important point that it's a process. It's people, Christians expect that, you know, I should be amazing as far as spiritual maturity goes the world, the culture out there looks at Christians and expect that they should be the next thing to Mother Teresa or something like that. <laughs> Let's say. Yeah. Um, they, but in fact, it's a road that goes ever higher up and further in, as to quote C.S. Lewis. And it takes a lifetime. It's a lifetime. God often uses the term refining fire. He's refining us in the course of this life. Secondly, this old nature that we have, that we actually get rid of that at death, then we will never have to deal with that again. But that old nature terrifies me. I think if we get used to evil, we get desensitized to it. I mean, when I say we, I'm talking the average person in our culture today. But once you've tasted what purity is like, and I'm, we're talking God here, who is the origin of flawless beauty, and purity and truth. Once we've tasted that, then we start to see the old nature, the way we naturally are, in a way that's in a whole different light or maybe a whole different darkness, actually. And it terrifies me to let that take over. I, I do not want that. But yet, if a person doesn't realize that there's a new nature within us that God has created, 
which only happens if we really are spiritual reborn, spiritually reborn, then it's going to be a lifetime of frustration. And you also pointed out work. Yeah, it's the older I get and the closer I get to God. And it's, I don't want to mislead people by saying, I find that the closer I get to God, the more, or maybe it's hard to explain because I also realize I have so far to go. So I can't say the closer I get to God without reneging at the same time. I have so far to go. In fact, I have so far to go. I sense now that I, that's one of the, I reached a point of desperation saying my life will be over. It's just fleeing by like water through my fingers. And there's so far to go here. I need, I need divine intervention. And I, and I, I was seeing this as a Christian. I need God to just, take over. I just need to give everything into his hands and walk with him. Um, but I didn't even know how to walk with him. So I don't even know how to, he said, lay aside the old nature. What do you mean by that, God? And often I'll pray, Father, whatever it is that you meant by that, I want it. I want that. I, I, I want to consider it dead. I want to have nothing to do with this the way I naturally am. And that's one of the major differences, I think, between those who will continue on and those who won't make it because it is so frustrating frustrating to try and be religious and try and live a religious life and a and a so-called christian life on your own power no wonder people bail and no wonder they feel such enormous freedom once they toss that but i've like okay you might feel freedom tossing that but now what do you have and i thought that through i'm a philosopher so I thought a lot of this through in highly technical detail. And if there is no creator, and, and there's going to be a lot of serious major problems, like how do you get space, time, matter, and energy exploding this inside of nothing, the universe, the laws of physics, how, how do you, and, and so you have to start cooking up narratives and those narratives don't fly, they don't work, but set that aside. I have nothing if there is no God. This life is absolutely pointless. Um, I think it was Camus who said uh, that really if you, if there is no God, the only serious question is whether or not to end your life. If you're having a good time, then keep going. If you're not, uh, then maybe you want to take that other route. And I, I am afraid, I am afraid for our culture because there are so many people that are beginning to sense that there is no point to life. There is a point to life. God has actually has a point and a purpose and far beyond what anybody imagines. But if you reject God, if one rejects God and sets him aside and says he doesn't exist or whatever, they may not even realize that, but it just feels like there's no point. And if there's no point, our government here in Canada has made Camus' solution much more accessible to us today. And I fear for the number of people who will opt for that because they've been misled. Uh, and, by is, the and, father and, alive. Yes, and isn't that the whole point? Isn't that what what uh, the forces of darkness are trying to do? You know, trying to end a person's life. If a person does, uh, you know, stay living, then make them as uh, you know depression and anxiety and all those things that are going mm -hmm. on. It's just really, really ramping up. It, it, I think about these things a lot too. And it causes me a lot of sorrow to think of people not realizing how precious they are, how amazing every single yeah. human being is, so amazing beyond what we can even imagine, and how easy it is for people, and we've seen it in the last three years especially, you know, how many people are the ideation of, of ending their own life. And yet, like you said, our government is making it all that much easier you know, I, I just, uh, it just causes me a lot of sadness. And I think that's, you know, I've been wanting to do this podcast for well almost 20 years now, you know, because when I was working in radio, and then the Lord said, quit your job, sell everything you own, come follow me. And so I've been doing that <laughs> for 27 years now. And um, he wants people to know how precious they are. He wants people oh. to know how beautiful they are, how 
every single person was not a mistake and he has a plan and a purpose for every single person. And it doesn't matter who you are. It doesn't matter what you're doing right now. It doesn't matter how low you might have been. It doesn't matter all the mistakes that you've made. It doesn't matter. He's there waiting with open arms. And, and this is the thing that really amazes me. You know, up until the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ, the only people that could really know him were the ancient Israelites. But when he died... And he resurrected. Now every single person, he died for the whole world. Every person from every people group, no matter where you live, you can come to know Jesus. He's mm-hmm. there. He wants you to know him. You just have to believe him. Yeah. <laughs> Enormous fellow. Like, uh, when he created humanity, human beings, individual human beings in the image and likeness of God, that's a thought worth contemplating. What does it mean to be created in the image and likeness of God? And then Jesus, on the night before he died by crucifixion, was praying in the garden. And one of the things he's prayed in that prayer was this. He said he wants the world to know. He was talking about his followers, his disciples, but not just that, because he specifically said, and all those will come to believe through their their testimony. He wants the world to know that God has loved them even as he loves the Son. So there's the love of God. To be loved by the same love the Father loves the Son is available to every person who is ever listening to this, first of all, but throughout the world from every language, every ethnic group. It's, It's what gives us, it's our ultimate value because the, value of a human being if we put that on wealth or fame or whatever well that's gonna we're gonna lose that someday but to be loved by god that is what gives me value and that's why i can take a lot of insults and abuse which i do online because i know that my significance and my value does not depend on what say somebody thinks about me There is so much truth to that. I will give some information in the show notes for people who would love to hear more of what you have to share. And we'll have to do another interview because honestly, we could talk for hours. I could keep on going with everything that we've discussed. I I would like to just um, end on, on one thought, though, just because of this. There is a move right now, and it's so clearly obvious, not just about deconversion of faith, but almost deconversion of humanity itself you know, with transhumanism out there and, you know, with the, just the onslaught, the onslaught of, of AI. I mean, even Elon Musk himself has talked about this and he's concerned about it. You know, one of my favorite movies many years ago before I was even a Christian was uh, Terminator. And these things are, they were all movies, but they're all happening right in the, in our midst. And people are, you know, changing their gender but they're not just changing their gender, they're changing their humanity and becoming something else. People actually want, I, there was a guy I was looking at today, he actually wants to become an alien. You know, like people, there's just an so alien. many things that are, yeah, literally, he wants to remove, remove his genitals and become an alien. That was what this guy wants to do. And wow. it's, yeah, wow. It's like people are, <laughs> there's so much of a move against humanity and like you mm-hmm. said, the deception is so rampant out there. It's not just about not being a Christian. It's now, oh, I don't even want to be yeah. human anymore. I don't mm-hmm. even want to be a man or a woman. I don't, you know, it's just going off the rails. It's not just natural. It's, it's supernatural in a wrong way. It's, it's evil, what's going on in our civilization today. It's, it's, it's destruction. And I think... Satan can do nothing but what God permits, but God has permitted him to be ruler of this world. And I think he's permitted him to, well, let people, I suppose, enjoy the desserts of what, of their decisions. Okay. You want this, you want to set me as God aside. Here's the other option. I was, uh, the, I've been struck. I was, I did a talk on hell last week. Cause that's one of the, that's about the number three objection. Deconverters have, they, they don't want anything to do with hell. So I was just showing using secular concepts of justice and theories of punishment that you actually wind up with something 
virtually identical to hell. But in that discussion, uh, we, we, we spent a little time, what is it like? And one of the descriptions Jesus used was outer darkness. So I looked that word outer up in Greek. And what it means is extreme, extreme darkness. And then today in my devotions, I was reading in John, there was quite a section there about Jesus is the light of the world. And the light was used over and over again. So we are talking about God as, as light. And then we are talking about the eternal, the final destination of those who do not have God is this extreme darkness or extreme. It's as far away as you can get from the light. That's basically what outer darkness means. And we start contemplating that those are really the only two eternal destinies, one or the other. It kind of shed light as to what we're doing in this world. We're sort of live in a world where you got both heaven and hell in it, not literal heaven and hell, but tastes of both. But there is coming a day when that's going to be torn apart and there'll just be one extreme or the other eternity in the new heaven and earth or the outer, the extreme darkness. And uh, I think sometimes, like God says in Isaiah, that when the inhabitants of the world experience your judgments, they learn righteousness. And that may be, I hope, it's maybe why Satan is just being allowed to wreak havoc, to bring people to a wake, as a wake-up call. I mean, to... And I'm praying for a great spiritual awakening. That's what I'm really asking God for. Massive spiritual awakening. In fact, just last week in Hawaii, the week before, uh, I think it was the Washington, is it Times or Post? I can't remember which. Post. Published in a Post. Washington Post had a little article that just in the last 12 months, the percentage of younger adults who believe that there's something out there, i.e. possibly some sort of a God or something, has increased 25% in 12 months, just 12 months. It's increased 25%, which might be a harbinger of a, of a spiritual awakening. But I think we need to ask God for that. Just to end off, if we could just pray briefly sure. for people listening to this interview, just for them to really realize how incredibly loved each and every one of us is by our Creator and that we are made in his image. If you could pray, and, and, and I will uh, end off sure. after that. Okay. Father, we can't even describe you. you. When you describe yourself as the origin of every good thing given and every perfect gift, that just sounds so wonderful, far beyond what we can even think of. And yet you love us, and you've created us to be in your own image and likeness. And I ask that you would help each one of us to think more deeply on this. Each person who has heard and listened to this podcast to think more carefully about it. And I ask that you would open their eyes to see what really is, that they can actually have a relationship with you through Jesus Christ. And I ask this in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Yes, thank you, Father. I thank you for Kirk. I thank you for his work that he's doing to, to talk to people about these very important subjects, about your beauty, about who you are. Lord, we ask that you would help us to get not only the truth out there, but that anyone listening to this interview, people that are, they call themselves Christians now, but are considering just leaving it because it's just too hard, that they would realize that you would show them that you're there and that your yoke is light. They're not meant to carry the burden. Like you said, Lord, when we lose our life, that's when we truly gain it. When we die, just like a seed dies, then that's where life comes from. And I just pray, Lord, that you would help us to get this message out to people they would know how much you want them to know you and how much you want to know them. Thank you. Um, thank you, Kirk. I appreciate your time. It's been a real blessing. Talking My pleasure. You. Yeah, I enjoyed it. We'll have to do this again. Sure. Look forward to it. A voice, a voice calling in your wilderness. <laughs>
When I accepted that Jesus is the truth that I had been seeking and the only way to eternal life, I was forever changed. In that moment, Jesus rescued me out of the kingdom of darkness and delivered me into his kingdom of glorious light. He truly set this captive free. So what about you? Jesus says, I stand at the door and knock. If you hear my voice and open the door, I will come in and we will share a meal together as friends. When you're ready to receive Jesus as your Savior, just talk to him. He's waiting for you with open arms. You can pray to him something like this. Jesus, I want to know you personally. Thank you for dying on the cross for my sins. I open the door of my life and receive you as my Savior and Lord. Thank you for forgiving me of my sins and giving me eternal life. Take control of the throne of my life. Make me the kind of person you want me to be. Our Creator calls. Are you listening? There is one love, one truth, one way to know. When you turn to the sun, all darkness must go. A voice, a voice.